What's up, guys? Mitch from Respect My Region here, back again with the North American Weed Tour podcast, episode 29. Today, I have a special guest, Jordan Fleury, joining us from Manitoba, Canada, right? Correct? The that's food. right. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm ignorant. Manitoba, that's a province, correct? That's that's totally correct. And we're kind of right in the middle, right up above okay. uh, North Dakota, man. Okay, right. Yeah, right in the middle, the middle of the map. I've only been up to Vancouver, you know, I'm Washington. So, you know, BC, British Columbia is right above us. So not just Vancouver. Be- beautiful but the West place, place though, too. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. But I've really, I've only been on the West Coast, man. I, I got to get, I, I want to get out to Calgary. And then obviously like Toronto, you know, music, Toronto's a big hub. I, I need to see more of the country. You guys are just a little bit north of us, man. I, I got to make the, make the, the journey yeah. out there. It's, um, it'll be worth it, Mitch, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I gotta come, 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 fuck with you, man. So what, what are you, what are you uh, smoking on? What, you, what you got in rotation, product wise? So tonight, evening? perfect timing. I was able to uh, hit up a local retail, uh, not far from my house at all. They actually offered delivery, so I was gonna hit up the delivery and highlight that a little bit, but it worked out. Uh, believe it or, or so, my oldest son is is taking out his driver's license, and it had been a little bit of time since he's been behind the wheel, so we went out for a spin. And uh, made that a full round thing. So, I mean, like the education in our home is a big thing as far as even um, all of the consumption stuff and then uh, proper carrying procedures. And I know I just is he's going to venture off and be driving on his own, right? So, it's important yeah. all of that's part of it. So, I hit up uh, Prairie Trichomes over in Nipawa. I've been there a few times. And the last time I was there, I hit up a product from a, a new local grower. I didn't get around to reviewing it. I hit it, though, and it was delicious. So... One good point. I hit up tonight. The two brands I was going for locally that are local grown within 30 kilometers, one actually right out of Minidosa, Manitoba here, Grump Weed. Both of their local product line sold out. Okay, so that Uh is a first in a long time for me shopping around. Usually they're there. And strangely, sometimes the local stuff was the higher end stuff, like the higher price stuff, sorry. So we kind of like I always shop around that way. So tonight I walked away from Prairie Tricombs, actual own selection. Some of their new product here. I grabbed some pre-roll. Uh, what they're offering out of their lemon margie. And that's by Prairie Trichomes. And they're set up just out by Sydney. And uh, up here in Canada, if you're aware of the medical market, so Delta 9 growers. Uh, a lot of the growers around my area, they are Delta 9 affiliates. So uh, fortunately for me as a medical consumer and a medical grower, the documentation I have and the medical documentation I have and the support that way comes from Delta 9. So okay. on the buildup of all this, I haven't done a whole lot of their reviews or their products, and I'm I'm about to start to do that too. So I grabbed the vape tip from a uh, a bit of a higher end. I've been hearing good things about about it. Uh, the cow tipper, I believe. Yeah. So the cow tipper, heavy indica, distillate extract here, five ten vape tip, and then the pre rolls, and that's probably what I'm gonna hit. And then another interesting thing, I don't know if you guys are hitting this or not. I grabbed this kind of mistakenly. Going on Bud Tender's uh, advice and looking at the bargains and hitting it all. Then I realized after, and I consumed it, and it connected with me, man. It's a different, totally different. But here we have the uh, CBD Skunk Haze. Okay. And it is actually quite a low THC level and up in the 5, 5.8, 5.6.6, 6.67% CBD. And I didn't even realize until after I'd consumed it the first time. And then I was kind of looking at it. The taste was a bit familiar and it had a bit of a, but it had a bit of a different effect. And then I realized like, okay, it's CBD flower. And I haven't gone to check out exactly on the website, what it, what it carries for the cannabinoid, you know, the total cannabinoid, but I have some of it here, whether I get into it or not, I definitely want to hit the pre-roll while we're on. So was, Yeah. yeah, that's where I'm at, man. Yeah, light it up. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, I'm 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 a little bit spaced out across across the country right now. I got a little bit of this. Uh, I won't be smoking on camera, but some stuff I've been tasting throughout the day. I got this Gelato Larry Number Two from Kush Kush here in Washington. Um, I got the Pluto, which I'm really excited to try from Gas House in California. Um, nice. I've never been able to find the Pluto strain. Um, was at Hall of Flowers. Someone may or may not have uh gifted me a bag <laughs> so really excited to try that and then from massachusetts i was just out there we got nature's heritage this was one of their award-winning uh strains crescendo it's a strain i'm not familiar with but i really 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 love the smell of it it's like a sweet piney i don't know um 
really like it and i really like the packaging you know over here on the west coast most packaging is you know jars where you can see the flower i right. can't recall if this is a massachusetts thing where you can't see the flower or if it was just chosen this way this is kind of nice if you can obviously if you can trust the grower because you know it doesn't have the light degradation right. um, to not allow light in but it's got this cool wood top double sealed really cool i actually have just tried a little bit of a snapper of that i don't know yesterday or this morning uh, liked it. I'm, I'm going to look forward to getting in and reviewing that, but got a couple different flavors from across the country. And so for you guys out, out there, you know, I know you showed the, the products um, in Canada, a lot of the packaging, you know, child resistant packaging is a huge conversation in legal yes. cannabis, but over there, you guys have some really strict packaging requirements. Um, you can't do like branded jars, right? It all comes in like a similar, for like very age, much right? similar. So like solid color, no, no actual like imaging that could in any way be associated to what they what the what the government would deem um, appealing to youth. So I mean, in the past, where I'd seen uh, leftover, uh, say illicit, I noticed that. So like, you look at the illicit market, for example, on extracts and stuff, and you get into like the Marvel character that like none of that right. flies on any total any sort of legal regulation here in Canada very standard very consistent thc component uh surgeon general's warnings as to what what you can expect in the uh the detriments of it if any or the medical detriments and you know your your basically pub your basic public safety risk sure. has to be identified on there what they're uh and that's what they move from like from to harm reduction so you need like a harm reduction notice on there for sure and then it's actually changed. And I wanted to bring that up. I noticed tonight because I thought the bud tender had actually slid me like two packages of pre-rolls. And if you look on any of my previous uh, vape tip reviews, the packaging has lightened up a little bit for sure on this, uh, where it was definitely coming very standard. Like the, So our packages are all going to be coming standard like this. And it's either that or the, like the your other baggie that you showed. And that's the same package. Like on the yeah. back, you're going to have your breakdown on the cannabinoid. All of the front has to have all the immediate precautions and, and the THC content. Then the obviously the seal of approval has always got to be a number one thing. Can't have that broken. If it's broken and you're traveling, right, you want to have that away from the cab and all that. So like all this, the real picky things they can get down on, that's for sure you want to keep, keep an eye out. But I thought this was impressive because it's definitely... So far, most of the vape tips I'm buying, they're coming in just as much package as the, as like your general oh. flower, right? Wow. So it'll come in a in a tape in a tip sleeve, rubber sealed on the ends. We can have a look. I'll pop this one and we'll see if it's probably still packed the same in there. I'm assuming, but it'll have your general rubber guards on the bottom and the top, right? So the uh, and like that's obviously you see a child. You've got to break these most of them to get into them either. Yeah, right? yeah. So I. I see that's a that's a for sure a difference right now. So like the other packages and they're coming, way more packaging, cardboard. Mm. It'll already be in a sleeve, rubber tip, rubber like on the uh, on the thread tip and on the mouthpiece. Then sit in like placed into a nice little plastic cartridge and then put into the cardboard. And then all your general packaging and labeling is on the outside, right? So yep. this is already a scale down until they start to come even maybe like backpacked, you know, with just a tiny little tag explaining what they're the skew system. Right. I think it has a lot to do with standardization, Mitch, right? Because that's what's not existing right now as far as I think the struggle goes for the branding and marketing for most of the brands and the retailers in Canada and then especially in Manitoba. Where you're going to be accustomed to on the West Coast, for sure, and then over in the East, like with the Ontario Cannabis Store and the brick-and-mortar approach, having everybody involved that way, like the lottery systems, like they probably have it down pat a lot more. Again, I haven't been in Ontario to purchase that, that market, but I'm obviously becoming way more acquainted with the East coast, uh, the growers mm -hmm. and like the analytic uh, the uh, labs and the analytics sides of things, because the East in Ottawa is right there. That's where our regulations are coming from, right? That's where the cannabis act was originated. Uh, the C3 cannabis council of council of Canada, that's all stems right out of from that area. So in general, like in Canada, you'll find that the, the, pol the politics behind any situation is generally generated out of the East, right? So mm -hmm. if they're ahead of any changes, it's going to be for sure there. And I see it a little bit on LinkedIn. I see it a bit on so some of the social media. 
coming in that way from the, from the East growers and the East retail stores. Um, the I'm drawing a blank on the store name right now, but we have a mutual connection on LinkedIn where their stores recently just withdrew all of the co coverings from windows and doors. And in, in the, and in a, and in the only way they could do it legally here in Canada was right to empty all of the brand, the visible brand appearances of any sort of anything and no posters, no pictures, mm. nothing on the racks, but they've taken everything down so that uh, Woodstock cannabis, so mm. that any customers walking on the street can actually see right into the store now, right up to the cashier. You're not going to catch any brand logos or any trademarks but you know, it's a cannabis store, right? And they're kind of sure. breaking. So they're looking at breaking, breaking new stigmas that way and moving it forward. So I think sometimes generally like the packaging, the, uh, the push to keep it secret, you know, and what's inside it, it sure it generates curiosity, but I think in, in my responses and talking with some of the, the bud tenders and the retailers is it also is still keeps people at bay, right? Because sure. it's kind of like gives you that, dirty adult store appearance or everything's kind of smoke screened <laughs> out and what what's behind the cigar room door. Right. So, right. but whatever you see when you go in there, it's, it's pretty standard. And I think we get to standardizing things over the next little while. Shouldn't be too much of an issue, right. Getting people on board, the right people yeah. consuming and. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, for our audience that's not familiar with Canada, right? Like they legalize cannabis on a national level, whereas, you know, or not watch the States has, legalizes state by state. So in Washington or not again in the U S you'll see each state doing things very differently. And as we move towards, you know, national legalization, a lot of people think like I want it to come so fast because that'll just make everything easier. You know, when you look at a political spectrum across the whole country, as opposed to just individual local areas, it's going to be tighter regulations, you know, for the U S is is I don't know, I, you know, I fingers crossed we don't go as far as some of the regulations that have happened in Canada, but I definitely see the U.S. as we move towards national legalization, moving towards, like, you know, the, the talk of you're talking about standardization and, you know, there's some pros and some cons with, I mean, anything in life, but for sure going into that, um, you know, restrictions are going to get a little bit tighter and, and the market's going to change up. So it's definitely interesting, yeah. you know, hearing from, from you guys up north and seeing how things have gone. You know, one of the main things that I've heard and, and this is any market, when it first goes legal, it takes a while for, you know, quality to enter the market and pricing to, to stabilize where you can get quality at a good price. You know, for uh, at least a solid two years, you know, I was hearing one of the big complaints of the Canadian market was a lack of craft products and quality. Have you started to see that change as the market's matured a little bit? Uh, not I guess in a way, but both ways I've seen it. I've seen changes. Yes. In both ways. So there's like your typical standard go to it, the right level, the right cannabinoids, whether it's terpene or, or THC level, and then the right price. And that's coming a lot of the times in your pre-roll. So what I've found in the last 45 days, so to speak, right. For sure. Coming out of September, uh, out of August and then and, and through in September is now it's like retailers and the brands are catching on. They're obviously like you look at headset and the, the stats and the facts that they're putting out and the information they're putting out for retailers. And then definitely here in the prairies, I see them responding to that. The same thing with like cannabis business retailers or Canadian cannabis retailer. They're all kind of pointing in that same direction and what's what's trending and what's not working. So on the retail side of it for that, the quality wise, <clears throat> what I see is like, where there was only two pre-rolls, like packs of duo, duo pre-rolls. Now you're getting them into packs of fives and tens or even twelves and to twenties of 0.35s. And they're not fluctuating. The, the price is, a, is reasonably less than what it was for the duo, right? Now at the same time, in, a, in one of the recent retail stores where I hit, who outlined specifically, they shop for high-end, THC, high product, total cannabinoid products, but who's supplying it at, at super low cost, right? Sure. And then in turn, want to cut the break to the high THC. So they're advertising, they want high THC shoppers. <clears throat> but the the price variance in the availability of what was there for like, say, a modest budget, it it that is definitely not reflected there. If that's what they're, if, if that's the, if that's the standard average price for that top shelf, top quality retail store, which I am seeing consistently and they're selling it consistently at that same price, 
it's either competitive and they're not looking at coming down on, on, and I can speak to more of this on, on some of the feedback as to what the price stands for. When I was saying initially, when I started off the local products, which are, you know, where you want to support local and they are locally grown. These are people that, you know, and you, they have, they have generational, whether well, generational farmers that have history in our province already for other mm-hmm. ag sectors that have taken the chance and gone into cannabis, but, their products were being charged. Well, in the end here, what we began talking about was the packaging and labeling. So we found out that certain local growers were having such a hard time with the lab labeling and packaging uh, regulations that they were sending their products, one for lab analytics outside of Manitoba. And then from the lab, it was being distributed to a yet another province in Canada for packaging. Wow. So the markup on their product, by the time it was hitting our local shelves, was there was no real cost savings associated. It's sure. what it would, it's what the retail, the brand would, would require to, to, for a recovery to even continue to pr- produce lots. Right. Right. So on the flip side of that, I always look around for the low end kind of not low end, but I, I love cannabis. I don't judge it. I mean, I like this. I like to consume it. I give it all sh- the same shot. So I don't judge it by sure if the THC levels, the cannabinoid levels, all of the terpene levels, even if the bud tenders educated, I still want to kind of try almost everything. And mm. sometimes the most surprising is those really what they're being pinned off as quick sales because of low cost. And it's just a little bit, you know, it's just the buzz. If you don't catch the buzz, smoke another one, it's cheap enough. But I'm finding sometimes those connect with the ECS the most. Mm. And in the end, whether it's the immediate effect or it's the after effect, you know what I mean? I find that sometimes. So how do you really put that fair? And then as a medical grower too, like I don't try to compare my cannabis to retail cannabis, but I have purchased cannabis at the same time where I was able to suffice in between that retail cannabis with my own products. So then you kind of look at it that way too. What is it really all inclusive to as to what are they determining? Again, what's standard? What's the standardized procedure right now that says, this is Canadian top shelf cannabis other than lab analytics, other than health, uh, uh, health Canada quality assurance measures and meeting uh, a specific introductory standard level of what is deemed safe for public consumption. But at the same sense, are you testing consumers and the cannabinoid systems? What response level like as an individual yourself to those products, does that carry forward or what do those brands even like can, there's really no scientific measure for that, right? Mm-hmm. To even apply that into the overall quality of the plant. So when I when I'm answering that in the same way, that's kind of what I apply to it. Whether for me, as I if I purchase it again, it, it's not about whether it was cheap. It's not about whether it costs a lot, and it's not about the advertised quality. At the end of the day, it's it's going to be how does that pro, how did that brand connect with myself? Sure. And and that's what I want to share with people the most, and and then hence even moving to to consuming some CBD flour to see how different that might even be. Right. 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 Experience, you know, any, in any, any type of product experience is one of the most important things. And especially when you're talking about, you know, cannabis, which is a, a, a something that you experience. I, it's a multi-sense a sense, uh, I don't know, multi-sense, I don't know the correct, correct word, but experience, right? It's a smell, it's a taste, it's right. multiple effects that are going on. You know, the experience is, is everything. Um, and so with your company, so we'll get into a couple, a couple of the different things that you're a part of, but one of them, uh, the, the company that you started, uh, Flourish Ventures uh, Limited, correct? That's correct. I said that correct. All right. Um <laughs> is cannabis consulting, which you've been doing for quite some time. So could you kind of break down how you got started in that and a, and a little bit of your journey within within the consulting side thus far? Absolutely, Mitch. You know what? That's It's kind of, it's one of these crazy things. So we're going to take a, a step just even a little bit further back. So 20, we're going to be looking at 20, 2014, 2015, 2016. I was starting to uh, adjust my professional career at the time. I was a correctional officer, believe it or not in Brandon, Manitoba. And at the time, although I worked as a a CEO on hand in the the center, I also delivered offender programming, culturally appropriate programming. And I also delivered that same program and level of indigenous education to staff. So as I was looking at 
broadening my horizons and looking at possibly moving away from corrections. One, ultimately, I had uh, an Indigenous-specific background in education in Manitoba, and then also an accumulation of, at that time, 15 to 20 years of, of other youth and political involvements and then volunteering and having chairpersoned on multiple committees, including uh, the University of Winnipeg. As, as While I was a student, I was also president of the Aboriginal Student Association back then. So always a drive to be involved in those shaker and mover positions and wanting to bring situations to the forefront and ultimately Indigenous rights. Um, mm. uh, uh, not, I want to say, I'm almost losing prohibition, but uh, the, uh, like my, the Indigenous rights movement, as you would say, right? Sure. So being a big part of that movement from early on, but as a result of appropriate role modeling in my family. And I always wanted to demonstrate that the most. So going into justice, looking all that. Well, as I started to become a little bit more adverse in my experiences, I figured I could offer Indigenous consultation services. So in 2016, I resigned from corrections. And in 2017, officially, I was out of there. I registered Flourish Consulting in Manitoba, which was a small business. And that was specifically acknowledging um, Indigenous consultation services. And the, the, inclus the inclusivity to that bundle initially right off the bat was economic development with agricultural developments in mind. Mm. Now, if you had known me at those times, even as a CEO, as a correctional officer, because I was a medical cannabis uh, uh, patient as well, right? And I've always been an advocate for cannabis, man, believe it or not, even before 2018. So there are people that we know that can adjust to, to what my leaving the jail actually meant in the long run. Sure. I was going to register Flourish Consulting and I had, because of my, my political involvements, a projection that in if and when in 2018 the review would happen, cannabis was going to become legal. And on that projection alone, I started to set up Flourish Consulting in a way and re reaching out and trying to establish myself with the right people in Manitoba so that if and when ca cannabis legalization would, ha would occur, we could basically absorb it into our Indigenous consultation platform. And lo and behold, it happened. So when it happened in 2018, cannabis legalized, I was almost hit, like head over heels, right? Mm. But it was like, holy smokes, it's happening. So all of these things start rolling out, the legalization, the, the regulations, and then the what ifs and the whatnot. I'm exploring boundaries and regulations on my medical cannabis consumption now, as well as legal cannabis consumption. And uh, in 2019, we had an opportunity to head to Vancouver for the World Indigenous Business Forum. And while I was there on Flourish Consulting Business with an, as, a, as a facilitator with the Indigenous Leadership Development Institute, in Mani Institute that here in Manitoba, and I'm known to be involved and facilitate with them subcontractingly as well. So I'm out there and one full day ends up being dedicated to Indigenous cannabis production. Mm. And I mean, Phil Fontaine was in the house, right? Uh, Green Future Industries was where I very first met uh, Stephen Teed from that organization. He was doing a, he delivered a deadly two-hour presentation there. And I had taken all of the information from the hemp production and everything moving forward from that meeting, from that those three days we were there. We were back in Manitoba and within 10 days of being back in Manitoba, I had filed the Articles of Incorporation for Flourish Ventures Limited. And in that process, we filed the paperwork to the company's office with a little bit of educating them in the process of what we were doing and how we were going to become involved, that we ended up being registered as, as a uh, cannabis-specific Indigenous consultation service. And our, our service would be available all throughout Manitoba. So, boom, we were born then. Then early 2020, Code Red, uh, 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 coronavirus, right? Code red restrictions, mm -hmm. locked down Manitoba big time. And that was it. Everything was done. Cannabis industry was deemed an essential service. So we were able to st still plug along. Now being it pre, uh, pre vaccination, as well as abiding by all regulations, we were kind of limited to the digital marketing portion of everything. Right. So I had already connected uh, back at the Flourish Consulting level of things while I was still completing some work with ILDI. I had already connected with, with Joey Bravo back then through social media. And I was totally captivated as to what you guys were doing and as far as the regulations were in Canada and already at that point going on two years. So right. now it's important to note, Mitch, I'm also registered in the cannabis tracking and licensing system. 
So when we registered Flourish Ventures Limited, the idea was to go right after becoming licensed producers. Mm -hmm. And it was a learning curve all in its own. So we enter the CTLS as we're waiting and learning about all of the procedures to go through to become license holders or at least security cleared. And that's a game changer. Becoming security cleared, we're looking at 85K plus uh, salary positions at any grower, you know, any grower facility in Manitoba or Canada for some of the top human resource or master grower positions. So we're still waiting on that. While we're waiting on that, I'm kind of looking around, where do we go for information? What are we supposed to do? So we've taken on a consult, like our own cannabis consultant. And she ended up being a Delta 9 affiliate. And she's out of Alberta, actually. And she educated us on it and uh, uh, as to what the CTLS was going to take. Number one, it was COVID setbacks. We're already waiting at 19 months since we mm. registered into the CTLS. And that's just for the security clearance. And I'm glad we didn't wait. So catch this. So we, my wife and I agreed. One of us has got to take some post-secondary education. Now there's cannabis post-secondary education in the in Canada while it's legalized. How what what what's the next leg up we can do? So I, well, we decide I wasn't returning back to the farm, the positions that were available at the time. So I'd taken aside from consulting, I put myself in a farm which is 180 degrees different to what I had done for 20 years. Sure. And the whole time from day one, when I was there, I was observing personally myself, that atmosphere on the whims of what does this look like on a huge cannabis production sometime a decade from now, sure. when all of these combines, all of this, how does all of this become cannabis and hemp production? So I was masterminding all this stuff, trying to put it together and like figure it all out. Right. So we decide my wife and I, let's invest in some education. So we started knocking off classes and, uh, we, I ended up, so now we're accredited with, um, medical cannabis fundamentals for business professionals and cannabis industry specialization. And fortunately through that, uh, I, while I was completing law and ethics, I learned that two years into uh, legalization, not just here in Manitoba, but in all of Canada, the harsh regulations abiding uh, brand marketing sure. had numerous brands locked down. They weren't advertising, they weren't doing nothing. But then I was seeing RMR throwing out these fantastic feeds on proper education, right? And the done be, being done properly. So while I'm reading my law and ethics and I'm kind of gearing it up and seeing it, it's came down to a simple solution. Most of the brands just don't want to take the risk of, of the potential of uh, uh, the fine coming in, right? At 10 sure. or 20 or $30,000 on something they put out. So I started up the hashtag to call a nice cannabis platform, uh, connected a little further with Joey on that. Let them know that we were into the industry. We were certified and recognizing the province as a consultation service, so specializing in indigenous agri-development, which essentially for us means as everything begins to lift, uh, including Canadian regulations and all of that, that we looked at helping many indigenous communities flourish, right? So we got the Flourish Ventures Limited ship, mm -hmm. and we want more people involved. We want to even take that to that North American. But that's what that consult's about, building up, bringing our education in, helping counselors, helping town people understand that there's an economy to it and there's no multiple sectors. And then more importantly, we get these communities set up. So one might have a retail, one might have an extraction, the other might have a grow facility and they can work in these partnerships that we can create. So while they were all waiting retail and, and, and growers in Manitoba at the two year mark with no real guidance on brand marketing, we kind of forteed into that area as to how can we help more brands come out of it we're not sure entirely, like we know that's illegal for them to pay for brand marketing, but sure. we know we have a platform because we're not licensed producers, Flourish Ventures Limited. So I am as a, as a medical and recreational consumer and a business owner, totally willing to be in the cannabis industry and, and continue pushing to break the stigma, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this set up, we have a safeguard now, more, more retailers are catching on, Mitch. The last three stops I've made, they're, they're moving to higher social media personnel which was brand new out of the, say, wow. the previous 15 i've been to some of them in the original thought i was crazy but brilliant at the same time and i've been directing them all to you i'm like check these guys out you think this is this is not gonna stop this is only gonna build more people need to catch in on what's going on right and we're gonna help break all that regulation ice on that exactly and it's working i, I wholeheartedly believe it's working man so it's been excellent to connect 
And hell yeah. yeah, hell yeah. There, there's a couple points in there I want to circle back and address, but one of them is, you know, if you could give a little bit of insight on kind of the challenges and the obstacles of marketing in the Canadian market and and what, you know, what opportunities that's kind of opened up for yourself and other people, right? Because I know that's a, that's a big thing is cannabis went recreationally legal or adult use up there. The marketing is really, really clamped down. Again, back yes. to that fear of reaching or promoting to kids. I think that's ultimately, you know, I think the two things that most people are scared of is like the overconsumption and then kids, which is for sure exactly. the ultimate one. Um, so what are, what are some of the obstacles and challenges that you've seen kind of in the market surrounding marketing? I think coming, come, these are, this is probably for sure one of the largest opportunities as far as I've seen. So you have your large corporation. This is what I've noticed. You've got like, whether it's on any marketing platform, Twitter, uh, TikTok, Instagram, especially, and we're talking since Flourish Ventures, pardon me, Flourish Ventures Limited 2020. When that began, if if at all, anywhere you were lucky to see uh, any brands even floating in, like I mentioned before, cannabis business retailer, for example. So you would have more of like bucking systems in there, feed systems, light systems, brands affiliated, but you would very seldomly see unless it was total big corporations. Big Pharma, Big Corp, right? So you're talking, you would see the Aurora or the Delta 9 or any of the larger, larger brands. They might get a plug in there, but very, and not like a paid brand marketing either. It'd be more of like a a bit of a logo shot with a, with a blurb underneath as far as their contribution mm. to the Canadian market. So you could see them kind of skimming through those regulations. When I started approaching uh, the retailers on what are the brands doing that they're carrying as far as the what do, what are they taking as far as publications that they get are they connecting with the brands other than when they connect to line up for purchases and for resale right import export what's the connection level right now in the agreements on getting the brand market on what's like i'm removing that risk and so at first it seemed very apparent a lot of them were telling me we tried i wanted to pay for advertising in the local newspaper I wanted to pay for advertising in cannabis business retailer, but they're all the fairness approaches in play. So even though some of them support the idea and they want to do it, if they do for one, they have to do for all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, what about, have you considered and have you met anybody with free in, as far as freelance cannabis, what we could deem freelance cannabis journalism goes, whereas you're not going to reach out to the sun and you're not going to reach out to the press what if we can create a bit of an avenue where you could reach out to someone who who can cover something legitimately and then also submit that work to other other venues, including the ones they have already have, have agreements with, but allow that information to, to begin to flow in a different avenue. And it really took a lot of work, Mitch, because uh, one, I'm not a licensed producer. So I'm pitching to them on a hand. I, I've started this Flourish Ventures Limited. We're a consultation. In the midst of that, we offer a digital marketing platform and we sell apparel. Some of them have been given their, you know, the shirts off their back for the last two years to get mm -hmm. their stores going and fight around these regulations. So here I am coming in and on one hand, I'm not saying let, let's look at uh, where we can. That's how it's a hard pitch sometimes to get them on board where, where we can work together to make that actually sure. work. Because the question becomes in the end, well, what's the reward in the end of the, for, for you at the end of the day? And it's like, it's not anything personal. It's me as a consumer. We have these avenues. I'm willing to share the information. If it gets your brand product out there a little bit further, or it has somebody follow up and connect with you that way. Plus, then we can look at the backlinking of the SEOs or sharing their products a little further, connecting and taking it to podcasts. And I, I, I wholeheartedly say, because in the last, the last six visits I've made, they understood, they knew who I was showing up. So they had one ultimately recognize either the trademark to either hashtag the colonized cannabis or the flourish ship on my face mask or my hat or whatever when i was coming in and then on the last three they've even moved to, to create social media personnel mm. so ultimately they have caught on i'm sure the brands the retailers the local brands like they are catching on to what it takes to actually get the product from the store out to the market base for sure, sure. yeah Sure. Yeah. And that's, and it's funny with how tight the regulations are there and um, these restrictions on marketing, but yet you see all of, you know, the Canadian companies 
or holdings companies are the ones that are taking even the US companies on the stock market, right? That's been the loophole for stateside companies to get on the stock market. And you see crazy PR campaigns, you know, that are simply just investor related that are, you know, not saying invest in this company, but that's the underlying positioning of all this content. So it's funny that there's like tight restrictions on marketing to consumers, but it's like, market to at least the u.s is like market to investors all, all day you know um it's, it's interesting to see those the two sides of that coin there's politics to it that's the crazy thing right there's the politics to the cannabis industry and it's unfortunate like it's one of those things like youth sports and you brought up youth you know that's the those are some of the things you want to always leave out of that equation right especially when you're trying to to have it grow and amalgamate into something really good you know but I guess it has to be there either way in the long run. It's just that it brings up full circle approach back to the standardization on, you know, what is actually really different as far as that. Is American cannabis really that different from Canadian cannabis? Like in the end, you know, and right. what what would be the, why the, what tariffs and everything would we really need to work out to standardize that? That a flower grown in North Dakota could literally match the, the, uh, the, the retina, so to speak, of the product that's grown right up here in Manitoba. Sure. Right. Sure. Super. Yeah. Super interesting. So Flourish Ventures, you really started to scale this consulting company right before the pandemic. And I know you touched on it. You know, there's a little bit of slowed, you know, the world, everybody slowed down. And especially those first couple of months where, you know, at least myself, I was like, oh, this will just be like a month or two. Like we just need to push some stuff back. It'll all go to normal. And then you kind of were like, Oh, let's push it back another month or two. <laughs> and then it got to, okay, yeah. now we got to change the script. And so I know for us, you know, respect my region, it was definitely a kick in the nuts at the start and then slowed things down, but really truly a blessing in disguise. So how did kind of the pandemic, you know, affect this, the scaling of this business and the growth of this business? Did you experience a similar thing that was kind of a, you know, some pros and some cons? The, Cannabis industry being deemed an essential service after the lockdown, I that certainly was a uh, breakthrough moment, even for as, as small as we are in comparison to retail, like offering online sales of plant nutrient, uh, a small apparel line, and then consultation services, right? So one, it didn't, it, you're, it did, because the lockdown put everybody into total restriction mode. So everything went virtual. And it, everything went virtual right at a time where I was kind of first trying to, and I wasn't, I'm not going to say like the first, because you could search up cannabis reviews and product reviews previously. It wasn't being done so much in a public cannabis education approach with the regulational talk and the things that really should matter. If it did end up streaming, let's say across a high school uh, device or something, right? Then at least on the flip side of it, if it comes back, I know in almost every episode I do, the warnings are there that this is the ultimately in the end, it's not legal advice. It's public cannabis education. So when that lockdown happened and everything went virtual, definitely, man, we looked at the opportunity here in our home where it's like, we're a big family for one, we're a family of six. So there are four children. And as brilliant as the opportunity was right then and there to take stronghold on the virtual element of it. I think because we still are like we're associated with the cannabis industry. So there's a number of those stigmas that still come to it. So we were able to embrace the lockdown and the COVID restriction and ultimately look at uh, a buildup. Like you mentioned, like the, you know, the whole, the whole buildup of Flourish Ventures Limited and getting it to where it's surviving, so to speak, and not just surviving, but actually building it into something that's captured the right attention. That's got us involved professionally, with other entities now that are cannabis specific. So it's moved us all during COVID for sure from a, uh, what may have been a pipe dream to some people at the time sure. to totally demonstrating that COVID will not affect the, the industry. And that's a big push for us in the end of, at the end of it all, if people can start to understand that. And that's not just for the consumers like that is in the imaging we want to eventually put across is, and the education we share with all of that, especially during COVID, if that has hit you the most and it totally threw everything like the monkey wrench style and, and you're looking for a change that the cannabis industry realistically is going to be a good place to look. 
And like I mentioned to you with the CTLS, so we're looking at 80 here in Canada, master grower, uh, uh, quality assurance personnel, your head of security, uh, your on-site manager, all of those positions are 85,000 K Canadian salary yeah. positions, full benefit, any grower in like any grower in Canada. That's the going standard. Wow. So when you look at COVID recovery for some people, and I get it, for us, it's just no stop, man. That's the way I'm a Métis. I'm a voyageur up here. That's the way I was raised, right? Like I grew up seeing that. You, Our family's been political. Our family's been a justice family the whole way. It's always been that push. So I didn't fret at COVID. I knew the biggest fear with COVID coming in, aside from being luckily associated with the cannabis industry was it was now or never man if mm -hmm. we didn't push mm -hmm. then because retailers weren't pushing you know they were right. set up already growers weren't pushing they were set up already so the leeway the opportunity being like ultimately and making the sacrifices that we're not a licensed producer so it's not nearly as as of a risk for us to put that information out so if we can get the connect going with them we can bring that information to, out for them safely, right? So sure. it's working, man. And, it's, and like I said, it's not going to, we're about to go back into COVID restrictions. And I have a lot more peace of mind. My wife has a lot more peace of mind this time because if we go from orange to red really quickly, uh, we're both set up in essential services right now. And yeah. we know that Flores Ventures Limited isn't going to go anywhere. The fallback ultimately, Mitch, is if if it turns a bit stalemate or too prolonged on certain things, let's say because of COVID, October 18th is a big deal in Canada. The three-year review on the Cannabis Act happens. We have the potential of our uh, legal age limit bumping up to 21. That was on the burner, man, a few months mm. back. They're talking about that. They're talking about changing the SOR 2018. I might not have a medical grow after October if the regulations wow. change that drastically. Number one, hopefully, let's keep our fingers crossed the most on it, is the regulation that they do change has all of Manitoba's... Manitoba's the only province right now not participating in the federal personal grow allowance of four plants per household. Wow. Manitoba only. you got to be medically licensed. So we're hoping everyone comes on board because we are a medical grow specialized home grow consult. So you can imagine on that buildup, COVID or not, the buildup happens, the legalization changes for Manitobans to be able to start to participating in uh, cannabis production, four plants per household. Our uh, our need in the industry here in Manitoba, as the ship in my analogy says, you know, the stigma just rises and we're the ship. We're right there. We're going to be ready for people to help them get growing too, man. So. Hell yeah. That, and that was something I wanted to touch base on too, was the home grow. You know, I'm located in Washington state where they're we don't have a recreational home grow. You can still get your medical card and grow. But like California, for example, and a couple other states, you know, they, and, and like Oregon, you know, just south of us, they have, you know, any household uh, can grow up to, you know, some it's four plants per adult or six plants per household. And, you know, they all have their own different uh, regulations surrounding that. But the hugest component of home grow is that people believe that it provides just equitable access to quality medication or, or cannabis products, you know? Um, yeah. And then there's a big, in Washington state, there's been a lot of lobbying against it. And you see it in other states too, where companies feel threatened of people are growing at home, they're not going to buy at the store. And then our investments are going to turn the type of profits. And like myself, right. you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not supposed to, but I'm growing a plant or two at home just for fun. It does not slow down my consumption at a retail dispensary whatsoever. It's just kind of something I do for fun. But I just wanted to, you know, get your point of view on the importance of home grow and where that really lands within the community and the culture of cannabis. Like, why do you think home grow is is a very important component? I one. One, I, I feel it's important because I think most people ultimately, including the government and whether it's federal or can like, and obviously the federal government has, has likely already found that, but the province of Manitoba is likely going to find the first off is that not many people that attempt to do it are actually going to be able to do it. Right. So that, that risk in on all like hitting the, eliminating the, the, the market base for the retailers is probably going to end up being bogus. And like you said, I look at look at man. I'm at the retail store at least once every two weeks. 
And that is even when my medical cannabis production is, is up on the, on the up and up. And it does, what it does though, is it, it does alleviate the, it prolongs the need or even just the, the peace of mind of having my own personal cannabis amount here, my allowance here. It's just that, that greater peace of mind of knowing that I have it here and I've grown it, that bit of the connectivity on that growing, on actually growing it. More importantly with me, like why I, I feel is because on the legalization side of it. So you look at it too, where I'm going to pull it, draw back on. I, I manage my, uh, my SOR 2018-144. So I manage it to the top quality that I possibly can, bringing in as much of what Health Canada measures would apply at a micro scale growth space, for example. Mm. And I mean, I'm not talking like $20,000 HVAC or anything like that, right? right? But I mean, I manage it to scale so that when my product is ready, if I couldn't make it or if, if COVID did happen or uh, online sales spiked or there was strikes or any kind of weird little thing, that the quality that I'm still producing would be there and falling back on it is going to be just as satisfying and ultimately... I know the two strains that I've that I've narrowed it down to that I produce. They impact me on the places that I need to. One was with mm -hmm. sleep help. One helps me sleep well, and another one keeps me with some pain deprivation with with high functionality. Right, so like that kind of daytime. It's likely a hybrid, but we're gonna find all that out soon through the analytics. And I think that's <clears throat> that's gonna be important for people to be able to produce their own medical cannabis at home. One, it's gonna give you a different uh, a. a a way different mindset as to that stigma that has been put there. Sure. That whole criminal base idea, that whole, uh, the war on drugs concept of even seeing like, you know, the plant itself is going to cause you into some weird delusion of, or, or, or anything. I think the peace of mind for people is to see that how, how simple and safe it actually is. And on the flip side of it, like how quickly they can actually, um, you know, dwindle on you and, and fade away, so to speak, if you don't apply the proper measures to them. So that whole, that whole process right there would probably balance itself out in the end. Mm -hmm. What, what they might legitimately feel, I feel in Manitoba, what they're generally genuinely concerned of. And this is crazy, Mitch. I, so we obviously, we still, all safety measures involved. We run security here. And, uh, I have had, 30 customers either show to the house or phone first. And I run a small business from my house, right? But they have arrived and not for consultation services for cannabis. So that, that whole process right there is led to like obvious education discussions here. Uh, even some on the phone where it's like when they discuss that, well, how, how is the regulations work? Because we come up on Google for them as a cannabis shop. Sure. Meanwhile, they're passing Nipawa on the number 16 highway and they're like two blocks away from a cannabis retailer. Hmm. But those cannabis retailers haven't taken advantage of the regulational, uh, the real, real na navigating that's required to go into the regulation. So here we're right. not producers. I medical grow. I don't advertise anything for sale and I'm getting hits and customers coming for cannabis off my Google engine, like the Google search drive. The way we set ourselves up, because I understand the regulations and you have retailers and growers that have been set up now going on full three years that are being bypassed by those same consumers wow. because they don't understand the regulations. So that for us is paramount. That's big time for us on the medical grow portion of it. And I think that's at that in the end, too, people will see that because some of those people have called because they are met. They are recreationally growing themselves. And we had a fellow call from Montreal passing on his way all the way to Vancouver. It was a, a, a recreational grower and he figured we weren't a retail licensed producer, but because he seen the, the medical public cannabis education I produced, he was taking a whim on the chance I would sell him my own medical home grow, which he was actually looking to purchase in preference. Mm. So I won. Ultimately, that would never happen. Like I said, everything that happens around here is like on that business side of it is on camera anyway. And so there's no illegitimate approaches. And we we really push that for people. We're actually about to hire a technical assistant. So like we have as a large family enough things on the fly all the time that keeping up sure. with some of the digital, the social media part of it becomes a bit of an issue and wanting to keep everybody part as part of it. 
So we're bringing on a technical assistant. We're going to be announcing that over the next two weeks. That person is going to be right there with us now and I'll have a bit of a partner, especially with the review stuff and the legalization and the regulation stuff. So, I mean, all of that's going to come full circle very soon. And yeah, I guess like the importance on that, what I see in the, in the end of it, which would make sense on standardization is when are we going to move more importantly? Why, why do I feel it's important? So if the retailers are considering there's a chance on losing sales, that doesn't have to be. I present somewhat of a, of a potential solution that could, in the end, by regulation standards, work. And that has a, a, a pull draw in on a big portion of it, the one I, what I started with, Indigenous consultation. Sure. So we look at Indigenous land base, we look at Indigenous resources and, and occupancy across Canada. And then we look at brands, like I'm in my involvement with Indigenous Bloom, and then situations unfolding that way which all could tailor into medical cannabis production. And it doesn't have to be at that large corporate scale either. Mm. If this situation by, by and it's not a uh, not discussed regulation within the, the medical Canadian medical cannabis framework is farm gate, farm scale, home gate, medical cannabis production. So I abide all of these regulations. I apply this level of standards of uh, procedure, standard operating procedure, so to speak, and my quality assurance measures on my own personal product on the whim that eventually, like I did in 2018, 2016, that the regulations would come to fruition, that the retail solution, if they want to keep it retail, keep it recreational. Remove the medical product from the retailers. You're going to move the remove the risk on the home grow uh, risk of detriment like towards the the decrease of market-based consumers mm -hmm. and if health canada and other governments really want to look at working with uh whether it's indigenous specific because the medical grow situation for indigenous communities and it's not because indigenous peoples are pushing it that way it's because of the federal regulations under the indian act the charter of rights and freedoms right we have the truth and reconciliation the uh trc 94 acts 94 calls to resolution, uh, calls to action, sorry, and then United Nations uh, DRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. All of that points to medical cannabis production on, on, indig on Indigenous reserved lands. And the situation just blossoms if it gets taken, uh, taken appropriately with the economical uh, Indigenous, you know, sole proprietorship mentality and partnerships behind it them driving that and all of that. So what does that do for somebody like me if that happens? That means that all of the time I put into quality assurance and quality measures, which I'd like to believe any grower who actually finds they have a green thumb on the slow percentage that it would be, pushes through and starts to apply those same measures, learns about the regulation system itself, the, Canadian, the cannabis tracking and licensing system and all of the grow regulations yeah. medically and recreationally on what it would become to take to become a license holder, and you then create a fleet of people that ultimately in a few years from now would be like ultimate professionals ready to come in with that, that beginning of that hands-on experience towards moving into those recreational grows, some that need recovery, right? As far as grow loss or uh, wanting to even uh, rebrand and come right. up with new ideas and new products. And then you shift the medical grow situation to medical growers who can abide and have demonstrated that quality assurance measure. So I do some of what I do, Mitch, on the long-term run of things where if I was to move my situation to say farmland and the partnerships and the, the agreements I'm starting to move towards. And when we do that is uh, minimal of 10 acres of hemp production is what my wife and I would be doing ultimately. And then our on-site medical cannabis production. And as everything becomes totally tight knit, like into a, an appropriate micro medical cannabis site that I would be able to sometime, say in the next decade, supply my product to registered uh, health patients in my region. Mm. And I would then work with the government and Health Canada on alleviating that medical need for product at the recreational market. Sure. And the recreational market, everything kind of balances out. So that's the type of stuff that we look into. I've thrown that out in discussions when I was completing classes, even throwing it around on like, how does that farm gate, right? That really look at that home scale quality assurance in, in place. And I really believe that that doesn't 
that complements each market in the sure. long run of it, right? There's no competition left to that. They kind of abide by their own, and then the regulations even standardize after that. Yeah, and there's and that's the thing, you know, with with cannabis, there's room for a lot of things, right? There's rooms for cannabis at every price point, at every type of consumption delivery method, um, and you know whether it's homegrown you know, medical, recreational, there's so many different types and there's room for all of those to hold their place. Um, for those out there that are looking to get into home grow, what is like one or a couple piece of, pieces of advice you could give them starting out or just like something that you knew when or that you've learned across your journey that you're like, man, I really wish I knew that when I first started. And, and, and regulations or technique? um in technique within technique yeah in technique the the like like i mean confinement one that is something i learned in very early on uh as far as seeing whether it was one plant in production or multiple plants in production whenever it came down to quality number one quality that that's that's a that's a through and through controlled environment keep it to what it is you know other than introducing yourself and I have like I've for myself even to that point in my grow space, which is which is insured and it's in my home, which is a breakthrough for Manitoba. I mean, we worked with our 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 insurance broker, uh, Red River Mutual. We worked with them on that. It took them thirty days to to explore the regulations themselves mm. to come back and say, okay, we'll insure your plants in the house. And I had an electric uh, certified electrician inspect it all. Right, number one with all of that was through and through the introduction of, of like myself only into that environment other than the plants. So I, what's in there, we try to, like, I, that's what I try to keep it in there. So I, I, on days that I can, I even enter like, you know, pretty much, uh, skimmed right down. And then I get into the, the clothing that I leave in there as part mm. of that environment. And next to that, the lighting. So you want to have your light separations for sure. And I mean, even if you're using a small little tent, to occupy your your make like your your clone or your veg or just your veg in a flowering plant you want to definitely be eliminating all of that light source to the darkness when you want those dark hours and then just don't be afraid man like i learned early too i've seen so if you catch any of my episodes on what i try to teach people that's where like another thing you can check out the hashtag the colonized cannabis on youtube i upload the sor 2018 home medical grow and it's your basic standards using what you have around home not mm -hmm. fidgeting with your electricity not burning your house down but trying to produce ultimately quality cannabis that sure. gets you through and uh i think like a, like that that has been a big part of demonstrating that in there i have stressed some plants uh unfortunately to death in that video series and i have stressed some intentionally to points where i knew because i've seen in the past that it takes the nurture, man. Like if you're connected with that plant and it's going to take a bit of nurturing, right? And a bit of parenting with mm -hmm. it, but you can respond to each other. And they, when they want to live, I find that when those plants want to live and you work with them to get them through, be prepared for what they're going to produce in the end. That's sure. a, that's a good one. Don't ever underestimate them, right? If they're not done, then just take that time and just control the environment for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and regulation wise in Manitoba, for sure. And any other province, and I like no legal advice included. Uh, there is a endless list now of medical ailments that qualify as more physicians in Canada become more more familiar to all of that the uh, process in the uh, the the um, uh, what am I trying to say? The prescribing of such right as sure, medical sure. cannabis as your your solution, medical solutions. And that's the probably the safest route to do it. So I think for some people that are going to be looking at exploring growing, um, it might not hurt at this time to to actually approach your physician and break that discussion at the same time as the is there anything we've ever been doing that qualifies for medical cannabis? And in the long term, if it helps people move from uh, medications that they can, you know, and I, sure. I, I we support any of that, but any that. And then, then still contributing to the long run of all of that too. So, yeah. Awesome. So, well, not bad. Not a pretty good product, Mitch. Check that out. Up through the, all of that chin wagon, man. It went out a few times. No run. Lit it up a couple of times. Right to the end. Yeah. Only one of those pre rolls. 
Yeah, you gotta you gotta love it when the joint goes out and you can relight it and no canoeing, no runs. You know, that's right. Um, that's that's a good one. Jo Joey's got me doing those, you know, joint reviews on the street that he does, and I don't know why. You know, I'm, I'm a blunt smoker, and you know, you roast a blunt, but these joints, when I light it, especially when I'm looking at the camera, I almost always canoe it just on my own fault. You know, like lighting too yeah. much on the underside. So I'm, I've been struggling on camera publicly with my joint lighting lately. <laughs> I feel That's like a awesome. And so we've, we've addressed it a few times. You obviously have the shirt on. So I have to ask the hashtag decolonize cannabis. What does that mean? What is, what is, what do you stand for behind that? Give me the breakdown <laughs> for that. Full circle, man. That's the full circle. So the decolonization, number one, you're going to hear that through and through up here in Canada. It's a big topic right now. Decolonization, decolonization that this week, especially uh, this Sunday night here, actually wrapping up a whole week long of the week of truth uh week four truth and reconciliation and the 30th had been orange shirt orange t-shirt day as well as the national day for uh truth and reconciliation becoming a stat holiday and decolonization speaks to that the u the un drip which i mentioned united nations declaration on the rights of indigenous people which was a global response you know to the to the less than approach and dealing with indigenous people globally and then we also have the uh the Truth and Reconciliation and the Treaty Rights Commission's uh, 94 uh, recommended calls to action. And Fleur Spencer's Limited as actually falls into those TRC calls to action, where uh, we snug in there at around section 37.1, I believe, to three, as far as uh, resources available, more readily available for Indigenous services, available to utilize that and such. So one, we have, I myself, which is a certified facilitator in culturally appropriate programming and indigenous cultural awareness. So I'd done it for Manitoba Justice previously. I do it privately now, and I had done it previously for, for consult, right? So uh, 2007, I was a national Aboriginal role model here in Canada. So I've gone across Canada speaking to youth in my younger time, like uh, when I was a young father, when I was 25, that kind of stuff. So I'm known as, and I mentioned to you in the cannabis, you know, in the indigenous movement, man, I've been there as a youth. I've been there as a political representative. I've been there at the forefront for the push. Uh, all of that time, even pre-legalization, cannabis culture has been as well there for me. I'm Métis, I'm a Voyager. I mentioned that. Cannabis is a real situation uh, in, in indigenous lifestyle. It's been there. It's common. I've seen it. And I'm not saying like from, from one, obviously I'll put still from grassroots, but I was a professional in, in a very young age. And I've been involved with cannabis from, from sharing with my professors in university while mm -hmm. I was president of the Indigenous Association to sharing with professional politicians and other representatives at conferences and delegations that I'd been at. So, I mean, we know it's there. We know that le we knew legalization was coming. Decolonization for one, for yourself. Know who you are, right? Know where you come from. Know where you're going. Cannabis mm. has been part of that for me, true and through, man. And I'm not going to break that. So I don't knock any like any Christian Indigenous people, anyone that's fighting their own battle that way. You know, some people might knock it. They might not like it that I that I that I that, I, that this is my trademark. But it's no harm, no foul. This is for everybody, and it's not just. But we're looking at decolonized cannabis, and me when I bring that into it all is a is a bridge, as a multi, as a meeting place for people to come together. And really look at cannabis as that break barrier for what's going on around the world. Whether it's COVID, whether it's race and ethnicity, right? Whether it's just general politics and people are down and out. We want this to be the platform for people to come together more and more as that way. So we reach out to people outside of the cannabis industry who are willing to want to come and talk about the cannabis industry. Mm. And if they've been impacted by COVID, by COVID, if they've been impacted in other ways, in any other kind of way, but especially if they're professionals that are willing to say that they've now are medical cannabis consumers or growers. So this is where we're, that's where we're at. We're bringing it. It's becoming well more received. It's recognized now when I hit the retail stores, uh, you know, I've, I've thrown it out there with you guys and hashtagging it and getting it out there. I think people are becoming more familiar that it's a legitimate platform and there's a, there's who knows where it's going to go next. Right. So we're lining up a monthly sex episode in volume two. So a sex and cannabis talk, coming through hashtag the colonized cannabis. Uh, I hope to link that up maybe sometime down the road yeah. with you guys. And that's not to be like saucy, you know, 
like that dirty 18 plus uh, situation, it's going to be education and the cannabinoid system, your connectivity and your sexual being that kind of way. I'm bringing in professionals. I'm looking forward to learn from that. That you're not going to be, I'm not going to be leading that, <laughs> but it's going to be good. Looking at the pros. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to learn that. You know, I appreciate that's something from, from yourself. I appreciate just the, you know, something that I've known in the short time we've known each other, definitely the thirst for the knowledge, not, not just the knowledge to learn, but also then pass that knowledge on to the right, people. Man. Cause that's, that's ultimately how we as a collective elevate, push, you know, push positive, any agenda forward or, or just make progress in the world. That's really, it's retaining knowledge and then educating that knowledge to everyone else, man. So you know, yeah. hats off to yourself, what you're doing with the various platforms. Um, I love it, man. I love it. You know, we usually try and keep these around an hour. We're a little bit over over today. I mean, I think we could keep talking, but is there anything <laughs> else you want to plug or people where, you know, where can people find you? There's a couple different things that you're a part of. So where, where are the main outlets people can, can find yeah, you? Yeah. So uh, obviously I might hit up my website. Like I said, we're hiring a technical assistant right away. So keep an eye on it all because the format's going to be changing. www.flourishventureslimited.com. There's going to be a steady feed. I'm going to be running a steady feed for your content out of there, RMR. And uh, obviously as we continue and uh, I'm doing again, a little bit of the learning curve there, I'll be writing for you guys and then breathe branching out, trying to bring that information. So if we, if we bring it, it's going to rock out through there at flourish at flourishventureslimited.com. Uh, or sorry, at Flourish Ventures Limited, either or most of those platforms, we come up, you're going to hit us there, Google, Google search, either way, right? And especially hashtag the colonized cannabis, uh, YouTube volume two is kicking up, I'm starting to book already. And the professional list of people, the guests we're going to be bringing on there, some will be sharing with you guys and others, it's all going to be their content up for everybody else. I've got mad love for you guys, man. I've got mad love for indigenous bloom given us these opportunities when you asked about coming up out of COVID right now, some of it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for these, you know, for these connections coming yeah. through the opportunity to educate people on where we're at, that we're legitimate. We're professional about what we're going to be doing uh, that right there that's coming. And I can't wait to help rebrand indigenous bloom. That's going to be very, very impressive. I know. And I can't tell you a lot more about that, but I know what's going to be coming out of that man. And it's going to be juicy. So how big that can get is going to be unbelievable too. And I just, you know, I, I throw it out there for, for everybody, like as far as this whole week and that a little bit of what I educated you there on uh, the Canadian indigenous scene and the mm -hmm. decolonization and people keeping your head up, man, it goes for everybody. Know who you are, right? Learn where you come from and you'll know where you're going to get to. And mm -hmm. more of us doing that, then working together becomes really, really easy, Mitch. So I look forward to hooking up with you guys again. <laughs> I don't know what else today. Hell that's, yeah. That's Hell yeah. That no, that was the ma that was the master plug, man. Jordan Fleury of Flourish Ventures Limited coming in from Canada today to join us. A North American Weed Tour podcast, episode 29. Super appreciate you, my guy. Um, we'll be talking soon. Yeah, likewise. See ya. <laughs>